iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Welcome to the game with me, Gabriel Marcotti. It's a mostly international themed show this week. We'll look at England's successes and challenges, and Rio, of course. We'll also look forward to the challenge they can expect from Montenegro, a bit of Wales, a bit of Scotland, a bit of Croatia, and Serbia. We're also going to be taking a look at performance-enhancing drugs in football. Are they there? This is all in light, of course, of the uh, Operación Puerto trial and uh, the lovable Eufemiano Fuentes, name that will no doubt be familiar to cycling fans the world over. Oh, and who is this we that I refer to? It's former Arsenal and Coventry player. That was back when Coventry had a stadium and not one that was owned by some weirdo hedge fund in the uh, Cayman Islands, uh, Stuart Robson. Rory K. Smith in the studio. And, of course... Matt Hughes in Montenegro. Uh, let's start with England. Hughesy, did you learn anything about from the San Marino game? Oh, we learned that England prepared well, preferred professionally. We learned that um, Ashley Young and Oxford, Alex Oxford-Chamberlain can strike a ball pretty well when it falls to them outside the box. Um, but in terms of... We also learned Roy Hodgson's a bit of a liar. Uh, Lawyer's alert. Because he said on... Thursday night I've not thought about Montenegro at all then proceeded to put out a team in training that look, will look very similar to the team that will play tomorrow and face a completely different team on uh, Friday night in San Marino so um, obviously he was trying to show San Marino a, a bit of respect um, but in terms of how England how ready England are for tomorrow night's challenge I don't think we learned anything at all really now let's uh, let's refer to uh, the Montenegro game is taking place on Tuesday night, not tomorrow night, of course, because uh, podcasts are timeless, isn't that right, Skinner? Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Skinner. Um, I guess nobody wants to debate whether Roy Hodgson really is a liar. Does anybody have any interesting to say about the San Marino game? No, no, no. Apart from I did the Span- Spain game versus Finland, and Finland put ten players in their own penalty box, and couldn't, uh, and Spain couldn't break them down because they didn't play enough balls in the box. What England did against San Marino, a poor San Marino side, they got the balance right between passing the ball and keeping possession and penetrating at the right time. And if a team does want to defend deep, if you get crosses into the box enough times, eventually the ball will drop to the right players and, and you'll score goals. So I think England got it exactly right. Kept possession well, but also played with penetrative uh, passes and penetrative play in the right areas. If you get the ball into the box enough times, Rory, Charles Reap would be proud. I know, it's Stuart Robson that <laughs> vindicating the 1950s theory of, the fo- of football. I think, that, to, be, to be fair to England and Roy Hodgson, which is not something that I'm comfortable doing, 
they're, they're unwinnable games in a sense, those aren't they? Against the against the really the really tiny nations, because if you even if you win eight nil, everyone just says, oh, well, you should be beating them eight nil. If you if you don't win eight nil, if you're if you're unconvincing like they were against Andorra in two thousand and seven, so all, then you know the criticism is intense. So I think all you, all you can say really is England did their job, well done. What move England, on to the next one. What England seem to be doing quite well at the moment. I've seen them in years gone by where they've played, and, and I've heard pundits say, all you need to do is just pass the ball against these, but just pass it simply, keep the ball. Well, you don't break teams down by keeping the ball. You don't break teams down by passing the ball on something. You have to have players that go past people with the ball. And that's at the moment England had a bit of that and they also passed it well. So the, the, the balance was absolutely right to play against San Marino. Let's, let's, uh, uh, let's move on to, to the real thing. Uh, Husey, just for those who've been under a rock or those who don't really care about England, um, can you just sum up this whole Rio Ferdinand diatribe? The diatribe. Well, just all this thing. Like, what do you mean? He's Sorry. there. He's not there. He calls him. He pretends he says he's injured. He needs to follow his training regimen. His training regimen apparently involves him going to Doha so he can take a lot of money from from the <laughs> Qatari royal family and and you know be, be the the clown in the cage. I, I don't. I mean, I like Rio, but I, I really don't. I really don't get this. I, I really don't. I really don't understand how people because this is the thing, right? How, and I done a bit of work for Al Jazeera myself a, year, uh, a few years ago. But I really don't understand this thing. You're a professional. You make an enormous amount of money. These people snap their fingers and boom, you pick up, you go to, uh, uh, you, you, you go to Doha and you appear um, what, to an audience of what, 10,000? An audience is maybe like the population of San Marino since nobody, you know, no, nobody watches it outside of expats in the Middle East. Or not even the Middle East, expats in, in the Gulf who get just here. I don't understand what would motivate somebody to do that unless he's basically retired from the national team. I, I, don't, I don't get it. It is hard for us mere mortals to understand and get an insight into the psychology of a footballer. Um, but I think it's sort of just... How much money could they have offered him? Kind of, well, it's not just about money. It's, so what is it's it? About, it's about money. It's about ego. It's about, I guess, it's perceived to be being valued in what's seen as an important market increasingly. And I think, um, well, well, what important I market? The Emirates? There's like five people. There's a, Qatar is a country of 600,000 people. Well, you, they either know who real Ferdinand is or they don't. But is Rio yeah, Ferdinand going to go into management or is he going to go into television? He's going to go into television from what I can understand and that's where he, he's starting it, doing it now so that he's making his name... On Al Jazeera, where nobody sees this him. Is, this is a real shame though. Does I, I, don't, I want Rio to go into television but I don't want him to go into punditry. Why can't he remake Rio Ferdinand's World Cup Mercs or whatever it was called? <laughs> that's Rio's real talent. That was pretty funny. So, no, but I, I'm, I'm serious. I, I mean, I, can you maybe shed some light on this? Because now... I it's his time off and he can keep his training regimen despite yeah. fighting a cut or whatever but if I owned a football club and I had contracts or when I own a football club I will stop people from doing this well, kind of we're, crap we're going to get on to him in a minute Gordon Strachan is manager of Scotland he is still a pundit for ITV I think I, I can't see how that works. One good when I was at Wimbledon, one good thing that Sam Herman did, and he did several good things, I would say, uh, did some bad things. But he, one thing he, he always said is, That's my, my manager, talking about. my manager, 
will not appear on TV. Joe Keneal was his manager at the time, and he wasn't allowed to do any punditry. He wasn't allowed to comment on any games. All he could comment on was the Wimbledon games. That was one of the. He said, "If I'm paying him uh, a three-year contract and I'm paying him all this money, I don't expect. I expect him to go and watch the opposition, not go on a on a TV channel and start uh, being a pundit." And Joe Keneal obviously was a great loss to punditry. <laughs> <laughs> but hugely realistically, it did but any manager all the same. With, well, uh, just going forward, what's the outcome here? I mean, is Rio's England career over? Are we back to that thing where he only gets called up if he's going to start, or, or what? Um, personally, I think it's, his England career is over, but I don't think that's because, it's because of his trip to Doha. I think it's because of the fact that it's difficult to envisage any situation in which he can play. If, if, he, if Man United and he are saying he cannot, can't play twice, in a week then he's of no real value to the England team you can't take a centre back to a World Cup for, for a one-off game we tried that with Ledley King in South Africa and it backfired spectacularly what? Uh, I mean if, if there's a real just I mean, looking ahead is he going to want to go to is he and Ferguson going to want to let him go to Brazil at the end of the season for a friendly no I guess maybe he could be brought back um, for the qualifiers at home next autumn but I, I think this was his real chance to get back into the team and he's rejected it I think it's, I think it's a shame um, I think England could frankly do with him tomorrow um, I also think Hodgson was a bit naive to just assume that he would be available and would come given his age and given his fitness and crucially given that he plays for Manchester United and Sir Alex Ferguson is clearly in no mood to do the FA and England any favours at all um, but, and then in terms of the Qatar trip I don't think that's really relevant to his fitness it's just a massive PR on goal for Rio and whereas this time last week there was a bit of sympathy for him withdrawing because of his treatment and his injury and maybe it was sort of 70-30 against Rio I think now it's sort of 99-1 as we saw on Friday night with England fans booing him it's that wouldn't have happened if he'd have stayed in, stayed, stayed in Manchester for treatment it's but uh, he's, he's, lost, he's lost the fans by uh, just being seen to be a kind of selfish, greedy footballer, even if he isn't. Hughesy, I, I, I was obviously in Croatia when, when all this kicked off, but what, did the England fans know that he was on telly in Qatar when they were chanting? Yes, they did. That he was an, yeah, an onanist. Yeah, the story, story broke on Thursday morning. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a pretty big story ever since. And I, I'm assuming that their hostile reaction was largely governed by his trip to uh, Qatar rather than clean out in the first place but, but the whole, certainly, certainly exacerbated it the whole thing is, is an advert as Gab says for, for like footballers pay a lot of money to people to do their PR to, to or image image rights kind of or image guides and Sven Gali's looking after their commercial interest and whatever who someone must have said to Ferdinand Rio if you go to Qatar and, and, and are on telly having turned down the England chance to play for England you will look like a bit of a knob just as someone must have said, I mean how was Hodgson allowed it to get to this, this stage did Hodgson not call Ferdinand and say are you why did you know are you available to play why did Hodgson not establish this the whole thing makes them all look like amateurs yeah yeah it does I mean Hodgson could have handled it better and he's come across as being a bit old school and naive assuming that these millionaires will just turn up to play for England whenever and he's also underestimated the, the, the influence and power of club managers another example is Jack Wilshire he's training for Arsenal today really if in, in other circumstances he could have been playing but Wenger very cutely has seen a 10 day window 
and a three week period where there's only one Premier League game so he's giving him a rest frankly to sort of help his ankle recover in other circumstances he could have been playing a strong international manager working in a different country where the clubs aren't so powerful would have had Jack Wilshire playing for England tomorrow night um, and I think it's sort of simple that symptomatic of Hodgson's slight failure to grasp the importance and the sort of extent of his role really and the, the amount that personalities and politics have to play in the England manager's job it's not like managing Finland or Switzerland you don't just pick your best players and they turn up you've got to be far cuter and more strategic in um, ensuring you get your best level on the pitch and it's not just about football it's about politics and lifestyle and the clubs and the showbiz it's, 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 it's massive and I think Roy Shenzhen could be a bit out of his depth to be honest uh, Stuart um Against Montenegro, it's potentially a big game. You slip up, mm-hmm. and you could be talking playoffs, where, as you know, you could end up playing spade. Yeah, and also they've got two good players up front that uh, I've seen a lot in Italian football. Uh, Jovetic is, is a very good player for Fiorentina, and Vucinic is playing really well for Juventus. Uh, whether they can combine well and cause England centre-halves, because that's the big problem with the Rio Ferdinand situation. The centre-halves who are coming in aren't good enough. You know, I've seen Cahill this year, whether he's playing or not. He's a champion of Europe. He may be a champion of Europe, but he makes too many wrong decisions. I think he's got all the attributes, but he hasn't been coached at a young enough age to be a good player. So can I just jump in there on, on, on the centre halves? I, I felt a few years ago, when, when you had Terry and Ferdinand and, uh, and Ledley King, all these guys sort of in their pomp and Carragher, I thought England are completely stacked with mm. centre halves, you know, relative to... Now these guys, nobody seems to like them. In terms of liking Terry or Ferdinand? Or no, 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 no. Or in just terms of liking Cahill, Lescott, Jags, all these people who are, who are, who are in because there. Because if you watch... They don't I, seem... I, I why, why are these guys not as good as the, as the, the, the because coaching, guys five, six years before? Because coaching, for whatever reason, in this country, or at club level, at academy level, hasn't been as good. Wait, sorry. So you're saying that Rio Ferdinand and Terry got better coaching growing up than Cahill be- and Lescott? Better understanding of defensive play. Because I see... This is, it's gotten worse I, in like six, seven yes, years. Absolutely. 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 The athleticism of players now is better. Sports science, and I think you might be getting onto that later on, sports science has taken over from coaching. Managers, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I won't name him, but there's a, there's a manager at a North London club that doesn't worry about the, the tactical side of the game. All he worries about is the, 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 the sports science. I'm assuming it's not Andre Village Boys no, we're talking about. It's so, Edgar David at Barnet. So yeah. they're the, they're the He's going to come and get you. Too many, too many managers, and, and there's a difference between a manager and a coach. There's not enough coaching going on of defensive play not enough tactical understanding of, about the game and I see I've seen England play and I've been at the games and I've seen some horrendous deci- uh, decisions that players have made at the back and got away with it I see things happen in the Barclays Premier League week in week out that I cannot believe are taking place but it doesn't look as though the managers see it or the coaches see it because it happens again the next week and the next week Well, the, the, just the, the, there's something much simpler as well I mean the Stuart, Stuart is, is absolutely right but there's something much, much simpler which is, which is the Gary Cahill, Julian Lescott, and Phil Jadielka are not as good as John Terry. But that was a that was a. I'm going to use the term. I'm going to hate myself for it. A golden generation of central defenders. It was an unusually good I, crop I kind of central of defenders. I agree with Rory here that you know these guys are for, for all the bile and stuff that people have heaped on them, and some of it was no doubt for their own making. Those guys were pretty darn good. Hey, Husey, I want to get you on this. Hey, hey, do, 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 you, do you buy Stewart's coaching argument? And that's why they're, they're the worst. And and what about the people who are coming after them? Your, your Calkers, your, your, your Smallings, people like that. 
I think sometimes we're guilty of overthinking and overanalyzing the situation. The bottom line is Rio Ferdinand and John Terry, in different ways, were both exceptional centre backs that come along, you know, once in a generation, once every two generations. Very few English centre backs have had Rio's ball playing ability. Very few have had John Terry's kind of determination, will to win, and also he's a decent football. I mean, John Terry for all the off-the-field stuff and the criticism. I think he's named in UEFA's Champions League Team of the Year like four years in a row or something. He's, he's, a, he's, a, very, he's a very good centre-back. And now, for, they're both getting on a bit in age and for various sort of political reasons, they're unavailable. And we're discovering that the, the current crop, the second string, are, are not, as, not as good. That's no real surprise. When Wayne Rooney stops playing... Um, we probably won't and when Jack Wood stops playing their replacements are unlikely to be as good it's not a question no one likes these players they're just they're not doing it Smalling and Lescott the centre-backs tomorrow they're not first choice at their clubs which is, is, is a problem isn't it particularly in a key position like centre-back well there's two, th- two, two very quick things one is that after, after the feast there t- always tends to be a famine Hughes is perfectly right that when you get an incredibly good crop of, of players in a certain position I guess I don't know whether it's neglected by club managers or something does you, you know that everything's fine so there's you don't bring the next generation through but there is a, a what I would agree with Stuart on is that there is a a kind of structural difficult difference or difficulty with English defending which is this idea of, of the John Terry style hero which is what Cahill is trying to be which is not good defending throwing your body on the line is not the mark of good defending not needing to throw your body on the line is the, the mark the of good defending the best two centre-halves uh, in recent times not because he, he was a, uh, um, technically great but Carragher was the best reader of the game that England have had and Carvalho in my view was a far better defender than John yeah. Terry Carvalho kept John Terry in the in the high in, in, in the as a top player for longer than he, he, he actually should have been uh, Hughesy um, as well I don't want to say as England fans but you know but I think we, you know, we may not be England fans I certainly want to see England do uh, do well um, but what's the worst case scenario here if they screw up against Montenegro um, and and, and and all of a sudden you, you have to start thinking playoffs or maybe even worse um well, what's the reaction going to be like? Uh, well, I think you lose tomorrow, then the reaction will be, will be very negative and Hodgson's honeymoon period, if you like, um, very much come to an end. I think England's position in this group is actually worse than many people realise. We're, we're, we're second two points off the leaders, but we've only actually beaten... San Marino twice and Moldova. If you look at the results, they've been very poor. We drew, we drew at home to Ukraine and drew away in Poland. On Friday night, Poland won three one in Ukraine, which puts our um, result against Ukraine firmly into perspective. So this is uh, often in the media we're guilty of over overhyping games for our own self interest, but this is a massive game for England tomorrow night, and if they if they don't have to get at least a draw they're going to have real problems winning the group I, I, I love the fact that uh, Hughesy started saying we I don't know if you, if you pick, guys picked up on that at the start referring to England see so deep deep down I think he, he does have some some love for the for the three lions um uh, it's your time Gabriel his, his, <laughs> his ringtone is actually world in motion <laughs> there you go all right, let's go on to Scotland and Wales. Uh, Stuart, you, you, you touched upon um, Gordon Strachan before. This is his debut. Um, 
there's a whole bunch of major structural deficiencies, I think, with, with Scotland right now. Um, I was a bit surprised because, as we all know, the Scotland job doesn't pay a lot of money, uh, not since the Bertie Vokes days. I'm assuming Strachan kind of took this job for not for not out of money, but because he, he wants to make a difference or he believes he can make a difference. What can he do? If, all he's got to do is, is try and organise them better. He, a, 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 a national manager can't motivate players because they should be motivated enough. You don't get that much time with the players. So he's got to be tactically better. He's got to pick the right uh, team. Uh, but Those mo- are really the only two things somebody can do. All, all this crap people are like, oh, no, he's got to you know, coach the coaches, inspire the next uh, generation of players. No, that should be, some, that should be, somebody, else, that should be yeah. somebody else's job. And that you're not going to do that in the first six months anyway. No, the, like, uh, you, you have, you've got to have a... a, a we go back to, to Spain. Spain, when they weren't doing particularly well, when Germany weren't doing particularly well, their, their FAs got, got people together and said, right, we're not doing well enough. This is our vision and our philosophy for the next 20 years. And, that, and at Scotland at the moment, they can't do that because the, they're not developing players. The players they are developing aren't good enough to compete on an international level. And that's the problem that Gordon Strachan's going to have. And it's not his job now to go and coach the coaches. That, they've got to get a good technical director to... Have a, oversee the coaching, oversee the vision and the philosophy, then they employ a coach like Gordon Strachan to carry that out at the first team level. But what goes on beneath it for the next 20 years has to be done by somebody else. There's, there's, it's quite interesting actually juxtaposing Scotland with Montenegro. So Scotland's got a population of like 5 million and Scotland is a subject close to my heart just for all my accent. Scotland is my team at international level. Um, Montenegro, Dab has just made a rude sign at me. Montenegro's got a population of 625,000, right? They, it's, it's not the case that Vucinic and Jovetic is some sort of freakish generation of great players that they've got. Montenegro, as an area, has always produced good players. Dejan Savicevic was Montenegrin, Pejimut Miatovic was Montenegrin. There is no reason that just as you have a small population, that you should not produce players. East London produces loads of players. Well, the Republic of Merseyside produces even better or, well, players. Like Greater Manchester produces a lot of footballers. Not really. Actually, not compared to uh, Merseyside. Well, I don't want to get into that debate now, Gab. There is no, but Scotland appears to have kind of acquiesced to fate and said, "Oh, we're too small to compete." It's complete nonsense. That country sh- has all the ingredients to produce a lot of footballers. It's got. It's got a football culture. It's, it's steeped in it, in fact. And it's got a lead where there's a lot of teams who could be playing young players. But for some reason, I don't know what it is, they, they don't seem to be able to sort of... Gab is laughing at me. No, no, I'm absolutely shocked you didn't bring up Uruguay as an example as half the population of Scotland. And well, I know so, it's close to your heart as well. But Slovenia. Slovenia made two, two major tournaments. Two million people in Slovenia. It's, that's, that's marginally less than Uruguay, and they have better players than your Slovenian gods. Scotland, although they didn't very badly, Uruguay. Um, Scotland has no excuse for performing the way it is. It should go. be performing a lot better. Bad Scotland, bad Scotland, so saith Rory Smith. Out of love, of course. Uh, Husey, uh, given that you have a Welsh last name, and I just ask you about Wales, um, on paper, this is a remarkable, remarkably good generation of, uh, of, of players. Uh, we can't, I can't use the term golden generation because otherwise um, people get uncomfortable. But um, is it unfathomable that we might see them at a major tournament in the very near future? Not unfathomable, but I think it's unlikely. I mean, they're going to have to, given their well, they have better players poor, in Scotland, right? Yeah, they have, but it's stacked against them, given their poor coefficient, isn't it? So they're always going to be drawn in difficult groups. 
I want to take a brief detour here because, Rory, of course, uh, you were in um, Croatia uh, for this uh, Croatia-Serbia game, and you were no doubt there because our boss is Tony Evans, and he loves a good ruck, and he figured that, uh, ooh, if I send Rory there, he can uh, he can chronicle all the violence. None of that happened. This is a situation where no news is good news. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were expecting and what you actually saw? Yeah, well, so basically, obviously, Croatia-Serbia is fairly toxic as a derby. It's the second time they've played each other since the war ended in 1995 it's only the first time that they played as Croatia and Serbia to the last time it was Yugoslavia which was Serbia and Montenegro um, the police banned all away fans from travelling which is a relatively sensible decision I would have as you're listening to me Daisy Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts that's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks Daisy there's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So if I can jump in there one second. Uh, um, in Italy, we experienced personally um, how much fun it is to have uh, um, the Serbian away fans uh, visit when they're, when they're up for it because, of course, uh, Italy played uh, Serbia in the qualifiers to the European Championship. And uh, you, know, you basically had like 400 people coming in and just absolutely destroying their stadium, hiding in like uh, – uh, sort of hidden like the, the belly of a bus. Uh, they had all these tattoos harking back to 1544 or whatever it was. Um, they're absolute – Nutters. Basically. There was that big guy, that big bald guy, wasn't there, who stood on top of the um, exactly. the terracing exactly. in, the, who, in the Ferraris. Who incidentally, yeah. uh, his uh, his mom is a uh, is quite quite well known um, interior decorator. Oh, good, oh, good. Yeah. So he's got a nice house. He's a nice nice middle class boy. Um, but yeah, so so basically, those dudes weren't there. Well, and that's, that's why there was no violence. Well, we don't know if they weren't there because that, speaking to Serbian journalists, there was a theory that some of them may have tried to make the trip, defying the the police right. kind of ban. And Having some kind of death wish, I mean, they would reveal themselves if Serbia scored. Now, I don't know if they, were, I don't know if they were there, and they just kept quiet because Good the job they didn't score. Then the, <laughs> it was, I think, it was, it was the right result. It was a, it was a very straightforward two 0 win. The Serbs were dreadful. Croatia was sort of okay, but not great. And by the end of the game, actually, it was quite interesting. The, the atmosphere had completely died because the Croats had won after forty minutes. The game was clearly over. Um, there was no kind of triumphalism and it, it passed off very peacefully in, the, in, in Zagreb during the day there were there were groups of, of fans on Banner, Banner Jelatsika which is the main square in Zagreb which I've just just mispronounced um, and there were some songs celebrating the Ustazi which is obviously the Croatian
revolution, fascist group during the Second World War. There were mentions of Ante Dottovina. There was there was chants of kill, 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 kill the Serbs, which was all very unpleasant. But it was. It was minority groups, it was little patches of, of quite young kids generally, which obviously tend to make the trouble. And according to locals, and that, I, think it's, I think it's only fair that I bow to their wisdom, it passed off a lot better than the atmosphere when Yugoslavia, Serbia and Montenegro played Croatia in 1999. Which is also, of course, much closer to, to the, the actual yeah, war. Yeah, absolutely. So it does so, sort of suggest that maybe things are changing slowly, gradually, that things are getting slightly better. Um, well, I don't know if we'll, like, we'll be in a, a stage where Serbs can travel to Croatia for football matches anytime soon, but st- in the Balkans they're still talking about, they're still talking not at official levels, of a Balkan lead of reinstit- reinstituting the Yugoslav lead, which, would, mm. which they do at handball and in basketball, and that they think they should do in football as well, and I think that might be necessary to get things back to normal, almost. I mean, I, I, I find this to be a really cool story that, that they can go to that because ultimately I mean I, I, you know, I spend a little bit of time with uh, cities of Mihailovic in, in the past and you know you talk about somebody who's kind of like the poster boy of um, he's a Serb but um, he's got uh, he's, 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 he's half Croatian he's um, well, he calls himself part gypsy. I don't know what the etymology there is Montenegro I guess maybe, maybe. I don't know um, and you kind of realize that all these people have friends and close ties on on the other side, or, or indeed other sides. Um, in this case, did you get any sense that you know this might happen in, in the next five, ten years? I, I, I spent a lot of time with with two journalists who you probably know, Sasha Halida and Sasha Ibrulia, who want Sasha, the second Sasha, the Sashas. The Sashas. The second is Bosnia, and the first is Croat. We spent a lot of time in Vukovar City Library, oddly enough. And what's really interesting is that, yeah. It, the, there are loads of mixed marriages throughout Bosnia, Serbia, and Croatia. There's loads of loads of people who are part Bosnian, part Croat, part Serbian, part Croat, whatever. And very beautiful women in that part of Europe. Some might say probably the most beautiful women in all of Europe, with the exception of Iceland. I would not. No, I'd say more than Iceland, but I wouldn't comment on that because my missus would kill me. Anyway, and she listens to the podcast. Regularly. She does not listen to the podcast. She does not know what the podcast is. Just anyway, because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. Exactly. Yes. Anyway. Um, You've completely distracted me now, Gab. It's a really weird image. You're telling me about the Sashas. Yeah, no, the, and so, how handsome so, they were. So we spent a lot of time in Vukovar speaking to people who said that before 1991, ethnicity wasn't an issue. And I, w- I would take from that that there is the possibility that in the future, yeah, maybe it won't be an issue again. I guess it, it will take a long time. But they do, yeah, they do play. They play each other in handball. They play each other in basketball. Obviously, if you start a Bolton lead in football, there will be trouble. There will be fighting. There's no question about that. But maybe you need to kind of get through that. To, to get to a stage where there isn't any fighting maybe you need to have the, the difficult period to get back to norm, normality I don't know, it's, it's something that is on the agenda and I, I personally think it would help Red Star Belgrade and Partizan and Dinamo Zagreb and all those clubs to play each other because it would raise the standard of the league there was a time when Yugoslav football were quite good and just on, on another issue Mihailovic, obviously a hugely controversial figure in Croatia, the nicest thing that happened on the day of the game was, the, was Croatia's Minister for War Veterans of whom there are many many thousands who himself was interned in a, in a Serb concentration camp uh, took a picture with Mihailovic arms round him embracing him which was then tweeted by the son of someone who died in a Serb concentration camp which was taken by people in Croatia as a really powerful moment to say look we have a future together Mihailovic and Idol Stimac the Croatian manager embraced at the final whistle there are efforts being made I think to say when you think about it I mean Mihailovic and Stimac probably grew up playing football together they played against like, each other in the, when they were 18-19 but they've, they've, all, they've always hated each other Mihailovic and Stimac yeah. going back to the 1991 
one you just love Cup Final, as you know, Dan. That, of course, that was the Bull Band Cup no, Final. No, 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 different one, different one, different game. There you go, you had all of them. In our debate this week, um, I'm going to try to be impartial and play uh, devil's advocate, even though I've got quite uh, strong views on uh, on this subject. Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, Right now, there's a, there's a trial going on in, in Spain. It's a trial of a doctor named uh, Eufemiano Fuentes, who um, – how can I put this nicely? Uh, it's alleged and pretty much proven that uh, he helped a whole number of professional cyclists uh, dope uh, and um, was sort of a master of uh, performance-enhancing uh, drugs. Now – the interesting thing with Fuentes is that uh, several of the cyclists he worked with have alleged that um, Fuentes told them that he also worked with football clubs. Um, and they be careful here because there have been lawsuits. Uh, uh, the French newspaper Le Monde uh, alleged that he worked with Barcelona and Real Madrid specifically. Um, they sued Le Monde uh, and Le Monde withdrew that allegation. Um, but it does appear that certainly Fuentes told people that he worked with football clubs. He hasn't actually admitted to it. I, I want to broaden this out to the issue of performance-enhancing drugs. The, the most recent news last week is that Fuentes came out and said, oh, yes, um, Real Madrid actually owe me money. People said, oh, they owe him money because he helped them dope. And Real Madrid then specified, no, that – they do owe him money, but it's because he testified for them in uh, in the trial uh, with uh, with Lamont in the, in the libel trial, uh, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, actually, that's why they owe me money." Um, so, as as this goes on, I think it's it's fair to wonder though. We've had issues with performance enhancing drugs and and, and, and drug cheats in the past uh, in football. Um, mostly, most recent cases I think were in the late '90s and so the turn of the millennium. We haven't heard so much of it then. Roy, I want to start with you. What's your general sense on this? Is, is this – do we not have them anymore because um, we've got better at testing, because people realize that you know, this kind of stuff isn't worth it? Uh, or have we not had them because they're so good at covering it up? Looking at the experience of other sports, you'd probably have to say the sort of option C on that one. I think in terms of they're not worth it. That I remember speaking to Michel Duda, the um, the FIFA chief medical officer, who told me that that football is is not immune to PEDs, but is kind of safer than say cycling because it's not a pure endurance sport. You have to have technique and ability. Uh, that is completely missing the point of the debate because obviously it's much better to have your full technique and ability for ninety minutes than sixty. And if you need to take EPO or Sierra or whatever to, to achieve that then you will um, so I suspect that the idea that football is immune to it is, is nonsense um, you, you, you would assume that the test I mean in terms of the testing I think I worked out that the UK Sport who do the testing in, in, in England do 5,000 tests on footballers a year which is m- far more than most sort of governing bodies in most countries do on footballers but they That's do that Possibly less in Italy, less. but it's, I think it's more. About I think, a quarter. Time. I think it's a decent. It's considered a decent number, um, but they do that across the professional and amateur game. And if you think about how many footballers there are, that means that if you're a professional footballer, there's kind of a chance you might be tested once a year, right. which you, I, I would suggest is not enough. I, I would suggest though that they do get tested far more regularly if they play in UEFA competitions yeah. internationally. Yeah, because people are drawn after games and, and things. And like have that. to do the, the, urine, the urine test, but it's not blood testing which is urine testing is far less effective. So I think there's an issue there in terms of, yeah, and in terms of the, the way, the general story of doping, 
in every sport, the dopers are ahead of the ahead of the the authorities. That's happened. That's the, I mean, we're talking about stuff that happened in cycling seven or eight years ago. So God knows what those who are doping in cycling are doing now. Then they might they're not taking first generation EPO, but they're probably taking something else that we can't test for. And that's the problem. That problem. It would be insanely arrogant to assume that that problem does not exist in football. Uh, Stuart, um, you played back in the 1960s when there was no... (laughs) (laughs) Stuart, um, I I, I take on board what what Rory says. Um, By the same token, one thing which doesn't fully add up to me is that where people have been caught doping in the past, there were always rumors. There was always background noise about this. And, and this is because football, football clubs are, are, are bigger communities, right? Um, and, and they're sort of transient communities. Players come and go. You've got, you've got agents around the players. Um, they, they compete with their clubs and they compete with their national teams, which means a whole different set of doctors and a whole different set of testers and things like that. And when people were caught in the past, I'm thinking of, of some Russian clubs, I'm thinking of um, – you know, Juventus in the late 90s where they weren't actually uh, – they didn't actually fail a blood test. But obviously there was a big trial which showed that they were using uh, legal uh, drugs improperly. Um, the, the, the Dutch guys uh, who were all sort of busted for, for Nandrolone all around the same time. There was always rumors. There was always background noise. There was always chatter. I mean, we all – I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're a footballer and a coach. Uh, Roy and I, we, we talk to people in the game all the time. Correct me if I'm wrong, Rory. I haven't heard allegations about anybody um, at the top level for maybe 10 years now. Not until the Fuentes thing started, no. Yeah, and then the Fuentes thing is, you know, it's all stuff that happened before. And so I, that's the kind of thing which makes me – it's it's not contemporary allegation, basically. That's the kind of thing which makes me think, all right, has football become so good at keeping secrets? Are, are footballers that good at keeping in the football community? Or is it maybe that – it's actually not happening. Well, I was involved in management and, and coaching up until five and a half years ago, and I never came across any sort of drugs, uh, players being rumoured to be on drugs. The only problem we ever had as a, as a, a couple of the football clubs over, was recreational drugs. There was, right. ne- there was never... And we were also sponsored at one point at Wimbledon by um, a company that does... The, a well-known company that does all the um, um, protein shakes and all that sort of stuff. And our sports scientist at the time uh, and, and uh, fitness coach, John Goodman, said that... Uh, by the way, not the Hollywood actor, no. just the guy with the same name. Uh, that the players weren't allowed to take it just in case to protect ourselves they weren't allowed to take it because this company had been responsible for four four athletes uh, being proven to take uh, performance artists in drugs so we although we used the bottles and although it was the our own drinks that went into them because we were frightened that the players could sue us if we were uh, the company that was sponsoring our football club right. had put the wrong thing in their drinks so we so so we were never uh, involved in uh, we would never suggest that they should be taking these protein shakes and all this sort of stuff because we were worried what was in them see i think this is a really interesting area with with drugs in general because i think that that protein shake thing is really interesting because one of us and vendor um one of his great sort of developments when he first came to england was was creatine mm. that he gave players creatine which is legal perfectly legal not in any way suggesting us and vendor is a drug pusher um there's enough people in this room who don't like us and vendor as it is um as a player, did you encounter any no. not not illegal substances, but sort of 
were you given supplementary kind of if pills you look at well, I, I played um, in the from 81 to 93 and if you look at the shape of players bodies in those times to the shape of players bodies now there's certainly been a, a massive improvement in diet in protein shakes whatever it is because players are, are totally they're leaner they're, they're, they look fitter their body shape is totally different to how mm. players were if you see a, a footballer in the 80s with his shirt off there's, there's not too much definition they're not fat but there's not yeah. too much definition so something's changed in the diet and some and and all the players do take supplementary protein shakes but uh, they're not prescribed by the in my in, in my experience by the doctors at the football clubs but it's, that raises two issues one is one is why does the, the, so this this is no, this is nothing new so I, I will use the term cafe herrera which gab will understand yeah which was the 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 the, the the potion that Elenio Herrera gave his players at it Inter in the it 90s. Basically, it was, it was they, speed in people's coffee. Is yeah, what well, it was. But I mean, let's let's be clear on this. I mean, I mean, there are certain drugs you can take where you get instant results. And obviously, 1960s before um, um, before widespread testing, if I give you amphetamines, you will play better because more blood will flow to your brain, or or even ephedrine, right? Uh, the problem is you will then crack. Well, beyond the fact that it can cause an irregular heartbeat and all this stuff, uh, and you could die. But in the best-case scenario, you can crash, right, which means all of a sudden you've got no energy left whatsoever. Right? So but the thing is that is very easy to test for. I don't think anybody no. has taken that for the past 20-plus no. years. But what I'm saying is that this is not a new phenomenon, the idea that, that there, there might be drugs in football. Of course not. goes back of course century, not. But not century, here's but the, but I think What players were most worried about, and there were players that were, were the, that were, where I was working, they were most worried about when the, when the drug testers came in on a Monday morning was that they would be caught for recreational drugs. That was their mm. big fear. Not, not any sp- uh, uh, enhancing drug for, for their phys- uh, physical as- uh, attributes. It was all about... About recreational drugs, and that's the biggest problem in football. That was in the 1980s when the Bolivian no. marching powder was king. <laughs> right? a, no, I'm talking more recently, five, six years ago. It was still a real problem at the, at the football club that I was working at. That, that, that it would not surprise anyone, I think, if, if to discover that cocaine was particularly was a problem for, for one, one player. And the doctors didn't relate this to to us. There was one player that had already been caught several years ago, and he 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 kept on saying having Mondays off. And uh, we didn't know why. He said, you know, the traffic was bad, this was bad, can't get in for this, I've got flu. And we, after a while, it was realised that he was, yeah, uh, I, he was under pressure to because he knew that was when the drug testers came in. Fabio Capello and Jose Mourinho will both be at Stamford Bridge Monday night as Brazil take on Russia. Uh, Rory, who has the greater chance of actually getting a job there? Well, given that, that Mourinho is, is there purely in a watching capacity, I would suggest that this obviously is a more important night in terms of an audition for Fabio Capello, uh, who's doing quite well with Russia, to be honest. But I would not have thought that Roman Abramovich would be looking at Capello long-term really although having said that I suppose given that apart from Mourinho there's no real outstanding candidates uh, Capello I guess could be in with a shout but then I can't see Roman wanting to take him off the hands of the Russian FA so your answer simply put is Mourinho reigning world and European champions Spain are away to France Tuesday night uh, Stuart if they don't win they could well be headed to the playoffs uh, can you picture the unthinkable happening and why are they struggling oh and by the way the last time they failed to win consecutive matches on home soil was at the 1982 World Cup before Rory was even born. 
Well, Spain had, I would say, 90% of possession against Finland. 82, actually, but you're close. And uh, Finland decided to put all their players in their defending third. But what Spain have to do, and it's the same with Barcelona, they do not want to lose a World Cup or lose a European title because they don't change their game slightly. I mean, they had so much possession, they'll keep the ball, they won't get players into the box. At some point, you have to cross the ball. That's why Barcelona lost to Inter a couple of years ago. If you have all that possession, you have to make teams defend. It's too obvious where the ball was going to come. If they played little diagonal balls, and how did Spain score their goal? From a cross into the box, and Ramos actually scores. So they have to just vary their game every so often. Sergio Ramos, 100 caps already. He's on pace to get more than 200. Incredible. One of my favorite players, even with all his flaws. Uh, Rory, I don't really follow the championship much, but I do know that a 20-year-old Czech striker named uh, Matej Vidra was named Player of the Year in the championships after some folks had derided him, uh, some folks who shall remain nameless, had derided him upon his arrival as another Czech no-name. Um, I understand you spent some time with the Watford folks. Uh, are you surprised? Uh, I'm, I'm not surprised that Vidra doing one in the championship when he was a kid. Uh, he was extraordinarily highly rated and Udinese, his parent club, were considered to have pulled off quite a coup in landing him. He's had injury problems, maybe not fulfilled. Blossomed into the talent we thought he would be. Although I understand that several quite large football clubs across Europe are monitoring his progress. Um, in terms of whether, am I surprised that Watford being a success? Absolutely not. There is no more impressive man in football than Gino Pozzo. I wonder where you got all that intel from. No more impressive man in football? In all of football? You heard what I said? Crikey. Michael Owen announced last week that he'll be retiring at the end of the season. Stuart, where do you rank him amongst the greatest ever English centre forwards? And uh, was his demise just down to injury or something else? When he started off uh, watching him play for Liverpool, watching him play for England, it was great pace that got him in behind people. He played with an enthusiasm. But in the long term his technical quality wasn't quite good enough and his tactical understanding and reading of the game so when he lost his pace he wasn't the same sort of player and when he went to Real Madrid he was found out technically they could, he couldn't play with the other players so in terms of where do I rank him as a, an England striker yes he scored a lot of goals so he's got to be somewhere up there but it was all about his pace and not about his technical quality so I wouldn't rate him that highly I'm going to throw out some names you tell me if you take him ahead of Owen Shear uh, Shear is better than Owen Rooney. Better than Owen. Lineker. Better than Owen. Greaves. Better than Owen. Fowler. Not better than Owen. Ooh, let's, let's make sure Tony Evans doesn't hear that bit. Gab, one, one for you. Jose Mourinho, the former Chelsea manager, claims he didn't go to the FIFA and Ballon d'Or ceremony because of irregularities in the voting. It seems he was proved right. How big a scandal is this? Well, I, to me, it's not really a scandal because I remember three years ago I went and I thought I had a great story because no fewer than seven Ballon d'Or voters came out and said, hang on a minute, I voted for Xavi, but my vote got counted for Xavi Alonso. And um, funny enough, nobody was interested uh, in, uh, in the media here. I, so I ended up uh, writing it uh, in the Excellent Times game blog. Um, the reality is FIFA have major problems at running um, elections. Um, again, back in 2010, a whole bunch of nations seemingly couldn't get their ballots back and, and their ballots weren't counted. And, you know, you might think, oh, well, it's the kind of nations where, uh, you know, they don't have telephones and fax machines. No, it's uh, Norway, it's Argentina, it's Chile, it's Qatar, it's the Republic of Ireland. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's countries like that. Uh, so um, the reality is you're just rubbish at this. In this case, it seems pretty obvious that, you know, Pandev's come out, I've been in touch with his agent as well. He's like, no, 
know, I wanted to vote for Mourinho. I told the Macedonian FA, my, you know, my top three are this, and they just kind of filled out the ballot any which way they wanted to. Now, that said, Vicente del Bosque got 68% of the vote. Mourinho got 20.5%. I don't think it would have made uh, um, a major difference. I think you have to take these things for what they are. One other thing, though, in this is he says he didn't go because he knew of the irregularities ahead of time. Now, unless he's clairvoyant, uh, that's impossible because FIFA didn't actually publish the votes until the night of the ceremony itself. Most likely, he didn't go because he wanted to make some kind of statement. That's all we've got time for this week. It's been fun, and it's been real, and it's been real fun. Thanks to my guests, Stuart Robson, Rory K. Smith, and of course, and especially most of all, Matt Hughes. Come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, uh, or you can email us, as so many of you do every single week, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all our news, our views, our web chats, our blogs and analysis. Rory, do you have a blog this week? Not this week, next week. I got a blog next week. Next week will be a blog spectacular week. Week from myself and Rory K. Smith. Uh, and of course, we always love to hear from you on Twitter, especially Rory. Uh, you can share stories of attending posh private schools with him. Till next week, bye bye. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.